This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Steve Olson farms in the Texas Panhandle. Conditions continue to be dry, now in the third year of a drought that has had big impacts both locally and nationally. Steve shares how the drought has changed farming now and how operations there are adapting to survive. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. Where are prices headed? Can you maintain margins with the high volatility in grain and input markets? There is certainly uncertainty. But in these times, Pivot Bio Proven 40 is working to provide you a certain source of nitrogen, up to the equivalent of 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen, in fact, that stays put whether or not, as Pivot Bio Proven molecules attach to the roots of the corn plant. And in a time in which margins can be tight and more sustainable farming methods are more than a buzzword, it's time to look at Pivot Bio. Our field demonstrations show an opportunity for a better ROI and a reduction of synthetic nitrogen. To learn more, just go to pivotbio.com. Steve Olson is a positive guy, but perhaps his patience is being tested. Dry conditions persist in the Texas panhandle, and that has him continuing to look at ways to adapt and survive. Some changes are temporary, while others will be long-term. Perhaps most concerning is the impact the conditions may have on whether a future generation will want to choose this same way to make a living. I caught up with Steve while he was at the farm headquarters near Plainview, Texas. Steve Olson is my guest. He farms and ranches near Plainview, Texas, uh, just about halfway between Lubbock and Amarillo. Steve, I appreciate the chance to visit with you, and I wish that we could say that the conditions out there were great, but I think you're going to tell me uh, you have been dealing with some pretty difficult weather conditions, correct? It, it has. It's been it's been pretty tough. Um, you know, the farmers are the eternal optimists, so so we, we try to look for the good in it, and, and there's just sometimes there's not a whole lot of good. But the one good thing is we don't have any mosquitoes, and uh, so, so if we're outside, we're, we, we have not had to worry about mosquitoes biting you uh, this summer. Right. Well, it tell, tell people uh, kind of how far into this drought are we? When would you say it, it began, and compare it to past droughts that you've suffered out there in the panhandle really the last three years have been pretty dry but not as dry as we are right now we we um had one rain event that we got like at my headquarters we got 4.3 inches and uh, that came in an hour with golf ball size hail so you can imagine it just it did absolutely nothing for us whatsoever it was kind of right during planting season for for cotton and uh, you know it hammered that ground so hard a lot of that cotton wouldn't come up so we had to do a lot of replanting but the the everybody wants to compare this to 2011 and if you look at the drought monitor and compare today to the drought monitor of today of 2011, it um, looks looks worse. But the thing that is is different is. Uh, the capacity of our irrigation wells has really fallen since then. Uh, we had a, a well that we pulled um, 
we always write inside the the box, you know, what the static water level is and all that. And in in eleven, it had sixty eight feet of water thickness in it. And then this year, there's only thirty two feet. The water table is declining very very fast, and we're we're you know, I think long term, drought or no drought, we've got to figure out a way to to fix that. You know, kind of the old joke was always farmers will spend their last dollar pumping their last gallon of water and uh, it it was always something that I thought no we won't but it's it, you know it, it, it when when the Ogallala started you know up high um, I live on what's called running water draw and they say that the old uh, ranchers and stuff as they were coming across the prairie could take a shovel and dig a hole and the water was so high that cattle could drink out of that and so so you can tell. I mean, it's it's been a, a hundred years of of just a lot of water pump. What what's the future for it then? Because it's gone down so much, seemingly so quick. Is there a day when you will have you expect to have no irrigation water whatsoever, or where are we headed with it? Yeah, I think that'll definitely happen. I've got a a one one of our farms. Um, the people that live in the house on it are pumping water from. Oh, probably three-eighths of a mile away from the house, and that water goes into a tank and lets the mud settle out of the water, and then they pump the water out of the top of the tank into uh, the, the house, I mean, because the water table is, is so low right there. And then you'll have places that still have pretty good water, but but it's, you know, it just varies. It's um, I think it's a little bit like a rolling, rolling hill formation where that red bed is in the bottom. Uh, and so if you're in a place that's got a lower red bed, you're going to have more water there. Um, and, but where it's higher, there'll be less. Give people an idea of what you're farming and where you're farming, because I think you've got land and, and rented ground that kind of is in a big radius from your headquarters there, right? Yeah, yeah. We we farm um, near the Edmondson area, which is 12 miles to the northwest of Plainview. And then we come down south of Plainview about four or five miles. And then we go east of that point, uh, which is the, where the majority of our ground is. And so the majority of our ground is going to be about 16 miles east-southeast of Plainview. We, we like a three-crop rotation, at least, of, of either corn or sorghum. Uh, wheat and cotton. We really love to plant cotton behind wheat. Um, of course, this last year we planted wheat everywhere and, and got none of it up hardly. And um, so so that kind of broke our rotation. And then so this year we've got instead of having the uh, corn or, or sorghum, you know, that you need a little more water, we planted sunflowers super thin trying to negate some of that uh, seeing it coming but then definitely the majority of our acres were in cotton so we'll try to plant that wheat a little early and get it up big enough so that we can run cattle on it in the winter time okay talk about the future of cotton out there because cotton is a very important crop but yet with lower amounts of irrigation water what's going on with the, the amount of acreage in cotton right now in the panhandle well, with with the price increase that we saw uh, before planting season, it was you know really uh, there was a lot of cotton planted. Um, we're part owners of a gin, and and if if everybody just made their APH uh, 
on on those acres that were coming to the gin, uh, we should have had a hundred thousand bales. And uh, we're going to be lucky, you know, to be somewhere in the ten, fifteen thousand bale range uh, is is where that will be. So, give me an idea of then what's the ripple effect. Well, I, th- I think you know here locally, um, you know, cotton gins are are a, are a big um, industry. So you've got uh, folks that that haul the bales to the compress. You've got people that ship the the compress. You know, uh, is the place that bales come bef- before they get an order that would like go to overseas or maybe a, a U.S. mill or something. And so you got guys that have been making their living hauling those those loads and stuff so you know you get on that side of it and then you look at the the gins having less bales and so that's it's an expensive uh, piece of equipment to own it's it's hard to you know the break even is is way higher than what we're talking about so you you, you know those guys aren't going to make any money this time um, and then you you have uh, dairies and feedlots that like to feed the cotton seed just raw cotton seed in, in their rations so that's not going to be available so they'll have to change that with a different feed source the cotton burrs are fed to uh, dry cows just for forage and so there's not going to be as much of that so um, the and and really the, the drought has played, wreaked havoc on the amount of say forage sorting and things that could be bailed and fed to those cattle uh, because it's just not there this time and um, long term I think our area will will stay cotton maybe even more there's some guys from Australia that are are trying like I plan on a 30 inch row most people in our area plan on 40 inch rows Um, but they're trying to go either a 60 or an 80 inch row and um uh, didn't have that other ground open and I kind of think of that as maybe that ground being a sponge that can hold a little bit of moisture if when we do get the rain but we just pretty much have to keep our ground covered or it's going to blow you see all those um, dust storm events that, that come around that, that's very very real we had uh, one farm that we have had in no-till for no or strip till either way but um, it, the way we kind of determine that is we'll just take a probe and we see how hard the ground is and if it's soft enough that we don't need to plow it we won't and if we need to, to, to strip till it we will if we need to rip it we'll rip it so we, we don't really have a, a kind of our set pattern if you call it that would be the strip till so anyway it had not been plowed plowed in over 20 years we could not keep it from blowing and so we ended up having to rip it to get clods to make it stop blowing finally. and um, you know so that that's just been a, been really hard to watch how that goes how has that affected how you farm over time uh, just with tillage and no tillage and uh, because conservation is it's important everywhere but how do you deal with it in the panhandle and especially during a drought yeah, well, I think I think it's way more important um, the drier we are. I think I think it's more important to keep that soil covered, keep uh, what moisture does go into it, because what the way our pattern weather pattern is is these pop up thunderstorms, you know, that come off of the the mountains out in New Mexico. Um, 
and and we'll get a we'll get a tropical storm that'll go down and hopefully get blown up into the four corners region and then that starts that monsoon stuff and then we can get those pop-up thunderstorms so we're going to get you know uh, maybe an inch or two inches and you've got to have that soil in a, in a position that it's not going to run off it's going to have cover and, and that cover slows the water down so it can infiltrate into the ground there what have you done then? Do you have cover crops or what are you using in order to be able to soak up in a sense or hold more of that moisture? We we have tried cover crops, but we kind of quit that because of the amount of, of moisture that it takes to grow it. And, you know, that's that's one of those things that, that man, we could argue about all day long, you know, because some guys will say, well, yeah, but you're going to conserve that. Well, I'll see that. But I think like a... a sorghum crop or a corn crop wheat no-tilled into that and then go into that wheat trash with with the cotton and then go back into one of those so we try to do two fibrous root systems and then one uh, that's not which would be cotton and or or sunflowers even uh, just trying to keep that that soil as healthy as we possibly can because I really believe that's going to be one of the big things that's going to separate out can you make it or can you not during these kind of trying conditions. Well you mentioned you know can you make it or can you not and you hate to have these type of discussions but what will happen for some of these operations because this has gone on for a while now Uh, certainly we know farming has tough times but how are folks doing both monetarily but even just mentally getting through this time I, I think mon- monetarily the the price for cotton was set high on insurance and and you're you, you know you're not going to get an operating note without insurance out here I mean it's just it's just way too risky so that's that's just not going to happen so um, so I think monetarily people will be okay if they can pull the plug fast enough. And what we always do is we'll get a 15, 20% chance of rain, you know, somewhere in the 10 day forecast. Say, oh, it's coming. So we'll just keep watering another week or so. And, and, and I think that's been really hard. I think the mental health issue is, is something to, to really talk about. Um, you have a lot of guys that leave their house, you know, first thing in the morning and uh, take their lunch with them and don't see another person all day while they're out. And, and so you're alone and you're thinking and, you know, your mind can go places it doesn't need to. And um, I think that's probably, uh, I've always worried more about that than I have the money part. Uh, I mean, money's always, but, but, you know, there's a lot of jobs people can get. But that sense of failure um, that guys deal with is, is really tough because, um, you think, well, I could have done this or I could have done that. And the fact is, it's just an impossible environment and really hard to, to make make any good decisions in. How do you deal with that then, or how do you help others deal with that? Is there a way to help people with the mental challenges of farming, especially now? Well, I'm really lucky. I've got a great wife who has a limit on how long I can complain. So I, I can, I'll, I'll start complaining, and and she kind of sets her timer. And after her little set times up, she's like, "Okay, well, it's time to move on, and let's find some solutions." And and so that, honestly, it sounds pretty harsh, but it's really good for me because I think when you dwell on that stuff is is when it gets really, really bad. 
we're, we're so rural, you know, getting help, counseling and stuff has, has got kind of a stigma. Um, so I, th- I think that's the hardest part. You know, church is a, is a great thing. Um, having a, a circle of people around you who really do care is big. Do you worry at all about the next generation wanting to come on and, and do what you're doing? Are conditions right now tough enough and been tough enough for a while? And you mentioned the mental aspect, too. Will you have enough people that want to stay in the business? I worry a lot about that. I think that's one of the things in all of agriculture that we've got to figure out. Because when you look at land prices the way they are, kids um, trying to come into the operations, uh, parents. You know, I'm, I just turned 57 this last weekend, and and to think of you know my son, he's he's he farms about 1,100 acres, but he also builds homes, and he um, he doesn't really see the farming as something. That that can it's something he wants to do and enjoys doing but he doesn't see it as a way that he can provide for his family long term um and so that that's hard to to see um there's just so much more profit in so many other jobs out there and you know uh, my daughter is a speech speech therapist and and her husband is a home builder in the Amarillo area and um, you know so as far as those two really wanting to come back and take over what we've got I, I, I don't see that happening you know, you mentioned uh, crop insurance there earlier on, and certainly you've got to have it to be able to, to farm and get the loans out there. What do you see long term for that? Because certainly <laughs> there have been plenty of claims over the last few years. So how is that uh, side going to, going to hold together going forward? I don't know, Andrew. I worry about that because, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, you're, you, you, if you look at the big model, you've got the Case IHs and the John Deere's and, and the Nutrients and, you know, Wilbur Ellis's and those people that have got to get paid. And so you've got to have a safety net that, that helps to make sure that that happens. But on the other side of that, uh, when you start in, you know, we're, we're getting ready to start new farm bill, um, uh, negotiations and there's a lot of underlying people that that want to get rid of the government set subsidy of of crop insurance we had a, a drought insurance that was a private product that was offered just at the beginning of, of planting season the the premium was like right at 25 percent of the indemnity and so you know it's incredibly high you know the, the chances of being able to collect and get get the money back plus some so i think the 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 deal in that is we've got to have the government support on the insurance but man we've got to figure out a way that it it um you know and, it, and it's there for these times um but um but it's it's hard to it's hard to see where that's really headed i i just I, I get nervous about it because it's uh, a lot of people don't really see the big picture in ag. They they think their food and fiber come from the grocery store or, or the mall, and uh, it, there's a lot that's going to happen before that's going to work. One thing we haven't talked much about, but certainly I'd be interested, is the cattle side of things out there in the panhandle. Feed costs are certainly high, although maybe coming down just a little bit from the peaks, but still, uh, that can be a, a tough business, and especially when you're dealing with the drought. How are the ranchers handling it out there in the panhandle? 
they're struggling. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, now we can graze some CRP. So, and there's a lot of CRP in this area. Uh, so, so, you know, you see it being, being mowed off, but there's not a lot of nutrient value in that. Uh, mostly just forage. Um, you, you see that you see guys that have sold herds that, you know, are, are, been in the family for for years and years kind of that liquidation cycle that that we saw back in 2011 and if you look at the amount of cattle that are coming into the cycle for you know three or four years from now that number is pretty low compared to our population and so I i think we're going to have some pain going through all that there's going to be some heartburn that that really comes from uh these these times and this liquidation we should be building the the herds rather than liquidating them and and there's just not to food to, to take care of them and you know with a, with an animal you just can't wait too long to because um, you're you know if they start losing pounds you better get rid of them Steve we've of course talked about a lot of the challenges because things are pretty challenging right now where you farm but I know you well enough to know that you're still a very positive minded person so I don't want to get through the interview before talking about that a bit because you're part of this business and have seen ups and downs but I'm betting you can still paint me a good picture of why it's good to stay in farming and why you still have a positive outlook despite an ongoing drought out there well this is this is my 34th crop and and we've seen we we live in the desert we know we live in the desert we've always had irrigation as our saving grace and so that's that's been really good for us you know um and the one thing we do know about this country, it'll get as wet as it is dry. You just have to be there that day because <laughs> when it, you know, when it happens and when it changes, it, it changes in a hurry. Uh, I don't believe that drought is going to be the, the, um, you know, I, I don't believe when, when the history books are written 50 years from now that, um, they'll be talking about how dry it was in the plains and how people used to live there. And now there's no, no one inhabiting it. I think, um, you kind of go through life and you think about how things were created and, and what mother nature's doing. And, and you, you just, instead of fighting her, you got to kind of get on her team. And, and that's the hardest thing we do is try to figure out where we headed and, uh, and follow that. And, you know, lower water use crops definitely will be part of it. Um, the, I think we'll have cotton that, that uh, uses less water. Uh, there's some short corn, you know, you guys have all been hearing about that, that is just phenomenal on water use that's that's going to be available next year, um, you know. And, and I, I just feel like we've got so much science that's working on these problems that I, I think we're going to have some real solutions uh, in the future. Steve, before I wind up, are there any items on your list that we haven't hit that I, that you want to? I want to be sure to ask that before I close up the interview here. 
you know that that uh, the abandonment rate on cotton is nothing like I've I've ever seen. Uh, we in 2011 uh, Father's Day, I remember sitting watching the Weather Channel on that Sunday afternoon, and it was 113, and the the humidity showed negative seven. And that Monday morning, we went out and walked in some cornfields, and it smelled like it had been frosted. It, it just absolutely killed it. Um, we had um, some I grow seed cotton for Bayer, and I had some that it was green and pretty and turned to gray. And so I called my guy and, and asked him about it, and he said, yeah, you know, we have a, a, a temperature probe that, that measures the the." surface temperature of the soil and he said it was in the mid 130s and with 30 mile an hour wind and he said so we were just talking about how it was like an air fryer and so they got back to the office and they had an air fryer put the probes in there and tried it just to see what it was really like and he said it was a little warmer than that but the wind speed was about the same um, so that's very unusual I mean it's it, and I don't think you you I don't think you you need to say this is going to be the norm moving forward. I think we have to realize that this is an outlier, and we've had outliers that were wet and, and cool and you know that kind of stuff. Our our ten day forecast is you know I think every day is going to be over hundred uh, for the next seven to ten days, and and uh, you know it's just part of living in the desert. <laughs> keeps the riffraff out <laughs> <laughs> well i appreciate the time and we'll hope that uh the conditions improve a little bit thank you andrew it's always a pleasure to talk to you you will soon have an opportunity to see steve as well he was one of the most recent farmers to be a part of the video series the farmer's table you can look for it online some episodes can already be viewed and others featuring steve will soon be released it's a great chance to hear what's on farmers minds from across the nation look for the farmer's table that's it for this week's farming the countryside i appreciate you listening remember you can hear all of our shows at farmingthecountryside.com on many local radio stations or on your favorite podcast platform and you can follow farming the countryside on facebook as well i'm andrew mccray i'll catch you next time on farming the countryside this edition of farming the countryside has been brought to you by pivot bio proven turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.